This is Everyday Light, a perfectly imperfect reading of the One Year Daily Bible. I'm Molly, a fellow pilgrim on the road to the kingdom, and it is a joy to have you traveling this journey with me, with the Word of God as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Welcome. This is the One Year Bible Reading for May 4th, and we begin today in Judges, the beginning of chapter 19, where we are looking today at the sin of immorality and the sin of civil war. And my commentary says that these chapters illustrate religious apostasy and social moral depravity during the period of the Judges. And they contain one of the worst tales of degradation in the Bible. Judges closes with a key to the understanding of the period, which we heard yesterday as well. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now, in those days, Israel had no king. There was a man from the tribe of Levi living in a remote area of the hill country of Ephraim. One day he brought home a woman from Bethlehem in Judah to be his concubine. But she became angry with him and returned to her father's home in Bethlehem. After about four months, her husband set out for Bethlehem to speak personally to her and persuade her to come back. He took with him a servant and a pair of donkeys. When he arrived at her father's house, her father saw him and welcomed him. Her father urged him to stay a while, so he stayed three days, eating, drinking, and sleeping there. On the fourth day, the man was up early, ready to leave, but the woman's father said to his son-in-law, "'Have something to eat before you go.' So the two men sat together, sat down together and had something to eat and drink. Then the woman's father said, "'Please, stay another night and enjoy yourself.' The man got up to leave, but his father-in-law kept urging him to stay, so finally he gave in and stayed the night. On the morning of the fifth day, he was up early again, ready to leave, and again the woman's father said, have something to eat, then you can leave later this afternoon. So they had another day of feasting. Later, as the man and his concubine and servant were preparing to leave, his father-in-law said, Look, it's almost evening. Stay the night and enjoy yourself. Tomorrow you can get up early and be on your way. But this time the man was determined to leave. So he took his two saddled donkeys and his concubine and headed in the direction of Jabus, that is, Jerusalem. It was late in the day when they neared Jabus, and the man's servant said to him, Let's stop at this Jebusite town and spend the night there. No, his master said, We can't stay in this foreign town where there are no Israelites. Instead, we will go on to Gibeah. Come on, let's try to get as far as Gibeah or Ramah, and we'll spend the night in one of those towns. So they went on. The sun was setting as they came to Gibeah, a town in the land of Benjamin. So they stopped there to spend the night. They rested in the town square, but no one took them in for the night, and this was very much against the hospitality of the time. That evening, an old man came home from his work in the fields. He was from the hill country of Ephraim, but he was living in Gibeah, where the people were from the tribe of Benjamin. When he saw the travelers sitting in the town square, he asked them where they were from and where they were going. We have been in Bethlehem in Judah, the man replied. We are on our way to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim, which is my home. I traveled to Bethlehem, and now I'm returning home. But no one has taken us in for the night, even though we have everything we need. We have straw and feed for our donkeys and plenty of bread and wine for ourselves. You are welcome to stay with me, the old man said. I will give you anything you might need, but whatever you do, don't spend the night in the square. 
So he took them home with him and fed the donkeys. After they washed their feet, they ate and drank together. While they were enjoying themselves, a crowd of troublemakers from the town surrounded the house. They began beating at the door and shouting to the old man, Bring out the man who is staying with you so we can have sex with him. The old man stepped outside to talk to them. No, my brothers, don't do such an evil thing. For this man is a guest in my house, and such a thing would be shameful. Here, take my virgin daughter and this man's concubine. I will bring them out to you, and you can abuse them and do whatever you like. But don't do such a shameful thing to this man. But they wouldn't listen to him. So the Levite took hold of his concubine and pushed her out the door. The men of the town abused her all night long, taking turns raping her until morning. Finally, at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman returned to the house where her husband was staying. She collapsed at the door of the house and lay there until it was light. When her husband opened the door to leave, there lay his concubine with her hands upon the threshold. He said, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. So he put her body on his donkey and took her home. I read a little bit in my commentary about this this morning that I wanted to share with you. And the question was, why did the man sacrifice his daughter and his guest's concubine to the mob? Protecting a guest at any cost ranked at the top of a man's code of honor. But here, the hospitality code turned to fanaticism. The rape and abuse of a daughter and companion was preferable to the possibility of a conflict between a guest and a neighbor. The two men were selfish. They didn't want to hurt, get hurt themselves, and they lacked courage. They didn't want to face a conflict, even when lives were at stake. And they disobeyed God's law. They allowed deliberate abuse and murder. What drastic consequences can result when social protocol carries more authority than moral convictions, as we will see. When he got home, he took a knife and cut his concubine's body into 12 pieces. Then he sent one piece to each tribe throughout all the territory of Israel. Everyone who saw it said, such a horrible crime has not been committed in all the time since Israel left Egypt. Think about it. What are we going to do? Who's going to speak up? Then all the Israelites were united as one man, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, including those from across the Jordan in the land of Gilead. The entire community assembled in the presence of the Lord at Mitzpah. The leaders of all the people and all the tribes of Israel, 400,000 warriors armed with swords, took their positions as the assembly of the people of God. Word soon reached the land of Benjamin that the other tribes had gone up to Mitzpah. The Israelites then asked how this terrible crime had happened. The Levite, the husband of the woman who had been murdered, said, My concubine and I came to spend the night in Gibeah, a town that belongs to the people of Benjamin. That night, some of the leading citizens of Gibeah surrounded the house, planning to kill me, and they raped my concubine until she was dead. So I cut her body into twelve pieces and sent the pieces throughout the territory assigned to Israel, for these men have committed a terrible and shameful crime. Now then, all of you, the entire community of Israel, must decide here and now what should be done about this. And all the people rose to their feet in unison and declared, None of us will return home. No, not even one of us. Instead, this is what we will do to Gibeah. We will draw lots to decide who will attack it. One-tenth of the men from each tribe will be chosen to supply the warriors with food, and the rest of us will take revenge on Gibeah. 
of Benjamin for this shameful thing they have done in Israel. So all the Israelites were completely united, and they gathered together to attack the town. The Israelites sent messengers to the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What a terrible thing has been done among you. Give up those evil men, those troublemakers from Gibeah, so that we can execute them and purge Israel of this evil. But the people of Benjamin would not listen. Instead, they came from their towns and gathered at Gibeah to fight the Israelites. In all, 26,000 of their warriors, armed with swords, arrived in Gibeah to join the 700 elite troops who lived there. Among Benjamin's elite troops, 700 were left-handed, and each of them could sling a, a rock and hit a target within a hair's breadth without missing. Israel had 400,000 experienced soldiers armed with swords, not counting Benjamin's warriors. Before the battle, the Israelites went to Bethel and asked God which tribe should go first to attack the people of Benjamin. The Lord answered, Judah is to go first. So the Israelites left early the next morning and camped near Gibeah. Then they advanced toward Gibeah to attack the men of Benjamin. But Benjamin's warriors who were defending the town came out and killed 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. But the Israelites encouraged each other and took their positions again at the same place they had fought the previous day, for they had gone up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord until evening. They had asked the Lord, Should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again? And the Lord had said, Go out and fight against them. So the next day they went out again to fight against the men of Benjamin. But the men of Benjamin killed another 18,000 Israelites, all of whom were experienced with the sword. Then all the Israelites went up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord and fasted until evening. They also brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. The Israelites went up seeking direction from the Lord. In those days the Ark of the Covenant of God was in Bethel, and Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron, was the priest. The Israelites asked the Lord, Should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again, or should we stop? The Lord said, Go, tomorrow I will hand them over to you. So the Israelites set an ambush all around Gibeah. They went out on the third day and took their positions at the same place as before. When the men of Benjamin came out to attack, they were drawn away from the town. And as they had done before, they began to kill the Israelites. About thirty Israelites died in the open fields and along the roads, one leading to Bethel and the other leading back to Gibeah. Then the warriors of Benjamin shouted, We're defeating them, as we did before. But the Israelites had planned in advance to run away, so the men of Benjamin would chase them along the roads and be drawn away from the town. When the main group of Israelite warriors reached Baal Tamar, they returned, they turned, and took up their positions. Meanwhile, the Israelites, hiding in ambush to the west of Gibeah, jumped up to fight. There were 10,000 elite Israelite troops who advanced against Gibeah. The fighting was so heavy that Benjamin didn't realize the impending disaster. So the Lord helped Israel defeat Benjamin, and that day the Israelites killed 25,100 of Benjamin's warriors, all of whom were experienced swordsmen. Then the men of Benjamin saw that they were beaten. The Israelites had retreated from Benjamin's warriors in order to give those hiding in ambush more room to maneuver against Gibeah. Then those who were hiding rushed in from all sides and killed everyone in the town. They had arranged to send up a large cloud of smoke from the town as a signal. When the Israelites saw the smoke, they turned and attacked Benjamin's warriors. By that time, Benjamin's warriors had killed about 30 Israelites, and they shouted, We're defeating them as we did in the first battle. 
But when the warriors of Benjamin looked behind them and saw the smoke rising into the sky from every part of the town, the men of Israel turned and attacked. At this point, the men of Benjamin became terrified because they realized disaster was close at hand. So they turned around and fled before the Israelites toward the wilderness, but they couldn't escape the battle, and the people who came out of the nearby towns were also killed. The Israelites surrounded the men of Benjamin and chased them relentlessly, finally overtaking them east of Gibeah. That day, 18,000 of Benjamin's strongest warriors died in battle. The survivors fled into the wilderness towards the Rock of Rimmon, but Israel killed 5,000 of them along the road. They continued the chase until they had killed another 2,000 near Giddam. So that day, the tribe of Benjamin lost 25,000 strong warriors armed with swords, leaving only 600 men who escaped to the Rock of Rimmon, where they lived for four months. And the Israelites returned and slaughtered every living thing in all the towns, the people, the livestock, and everything they found. They also burned down all the towns they came to. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anan, near Salim, because there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands, and anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience eternal life but remains under God's angry judgment. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize him, them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Psalm 104, beginning in verse 24. O Lord, what a variety of things you have made! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. See the ship sailing along, and Leviathan, which you made to play in the sea. They all depend on you to give them food as they need it. When you supply it, they gather it. You open your hand to feed them. 
and they are richly satisfied. But if you turn away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust. When you give them your breath, life is created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord continue forever. The Lord takes pleasure in all that he has made. The earth trembles at his glance. The mountains smoke at his touch. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let all sinners vanish from the place of the earth. Let the wicked disappear forever. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Proverbs 14, beginning in verse 22. If you plan to do evil, you will be lost. If you plan to do good, you will receive unfailing love and faithfulness. Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Wealth is a crown for the wise. The efforts of fools yields only foolishness. And to end, we are back with Selwyn Hughes. And if some of these recent readings sound familiar and you've been listening for a long time, uh, I have read some of these before out of the context of Hind's Feet in High Places, but I decided to uh, go ahead and, and read them again. They're definitely ministering to me. I hope they are to you as well. This called The Familiar Feelings of Failure from Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call to him, to all who call to him in truth. Many years ago, a young man came to see me and said, I am not making a success of my life spiritually. I want with all my heart to become a successful Christian, but I seem to be failing in everything I do. At that time, I was not aware of the subtleties of the human heart as I am today, and I encouraged him to keep trying. I said, responsible effort and dogged obedience will bring you what you need. Keep going no matter what. The advice I gave him was good, but it was not complete. About a year later, after God had allowed me to see the subtleties and deceptions of my own heart, and after putting some personal things right before him, I sat down once again with the young man and asked him how things were going. A little better, he said, but even though I keep asking God to help me become a successful Christian, I'm still failing. I took a deep breath and tentatively suggested that perhaps, deep down in his heart, he preferred failure to success. He looked at me in amazement and after a few seconds said, say some more about that. I feel you are touching something very vulnerable inside of me. We talked for hours and he told me how all his life he had lived with failure and it soon became obvious that he preferred the familiar feelings of failure to the unfamiliar feelings of success, even spiritual success. That one insight was all he needed to open up the whole of his being to God. Father, if we too need something to trigger off a deeper oneness and self-awareness in our hearts, then give it to us today. We want nothing more than to be honest people, honest not only on the surface, but also at the depths. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you all. Have a wonderful day.